0: Father, we want to just take a second before we engage your word, just remembering you and remembering what we're actually looking at here this morning. We're actually looking at your very, your very word, your holy scriptures. And Lord, we thank you for them. They, they are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training us all in righteousness training us on how to walk in this world in a manner well-pleasing to you. And surely they are sufficient so that we can be equipped and and, and adequate for every good work. Lord, everything we'll ever need to live for your glory, Lord, is found in these pages. And, And Lord, we know that it doesn't just start with a bunch of rules. It starts with remembering who you are and what you've done. And... Lord, before us this morning in this text, we see that you are the God who raised your son from the dead. And you did it for a specific purpose, Lord. You did it so that our faith and our hope would be in you. So that we can live our lives knowing the person in whom we have placed our faith and trust and dependency. It's the very one who raised a man in history from death's grip. So that we would know we too will one day be raised in history finally freed from death's grip and so lord we we just these things are amazing these things are wonderful Uh, these things just display your goodness and your power and love trustworthiness so lord just pray that you just just give us such an encouraging time here at your feet learning about these things again lord again not so that we can just understand the passage but so that our faith and our hope will be in
1: Ask yes, these things in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Okay, so last time we were together, verse 20. Well, actually, we did verse 18 through 20, I believe. And um, you notice back in verse 18, Peter's uh, right after he speaks about God's impartiality and judgment, even as our Father. From that, that we should live our lives in reverent fear. That being the case, we're still, as we live that life of reverent fear, we're always to know something. We're always to know about the redemption that Jesus has accomplished for us by his blood, his precious blood, it says here. (laughs) And this Jesus, this precious blood that he shed, um, was none other than um, the blood of the foreknown son, verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Now, um, it's interesting. I I heard a guy this past week that talked about this idea of foreknowledge and how it implies, it does not imply, I should say, the preexistence of Christ, Um, which on the surface I kind of agree with um, because in chapter 1, verse two it actually says that we are foreknown right foreknown by uh or chosen according to the foreknowledge of god the father so we are foreknown certainly we are not pre-existent right we don't believe as mormons do in the preexistence of the soul uh, however i do think that what peter has in mind here in verse 20 when he speaks of jesus christ being foreknown i think it in this passage, in particular, it does mean that he pre he was pre-existent. Why do I say that? From verse twenty, how can you deduce that? Before the foundation of the world. Okay, but that can be said of you. you can say that you were foreknown before the foundation of the world. You can say you you be chosen before the foundation of the world. So, from verse twenty, how do you know that this? How do you know that this does imply that Jesus indeed was pre-existent? There you go. There it is. That's right. That's right. So, the clause so you have a term here that's key. The one who was foreknown did not come into being in these last times, he appeared in these last times, assuming he has always been here yet hidden. And now he's appeared in these last times. And so what we're talking about here is what John speaks about so clearly in his prologue, that the word was with God and the word became flesh. Um, Never ceasing to be what he was, he became something that he never has been. He's always the word. He always will be the word, but he took to himself a human nature and dwelt among us and so this is what we're talking about we are talking about a the pre-existing the pre existent son and it's this son who comes to shed his blood for us it's this son who appears in these last times notice peter says that it's the last times if anybody talks to you about end times you've got to have in your brain that it began when after the millennium and some in, in some uh Future state or when? Acts two, yeah, Acts two. When Jesus appeared, that began the end times. Why? Because you're looking at it from the standpoint of creation on, right? Old Testament, New Covenant. Steve likes to call it New Covenant eschatology, because the New Covenant is the beginning of the eschaton. It is the beginning of the of, of the end times. So what's that?
2: You're just like. <laughs> About but this is like, like
1: disrupting my every friendship i have it's like oh. crazy <laughs> I'm, i hope i'm, I'm not, Jeff. not but i mean this is like
2: it's like everyone's a dispensation. yeah it's crazy
0: yeah it's probably more rampant oh, here really in the South.
2: Like
0: like, yeah well that's so but you see it don't you don't you deb you see yeah. it if you're if your friends are like that i mean how can you say this i mean you know in times it's gonna get worse and worse you know it's just say well yeah but peter says he's appeared in these last times for the sake of you and peter was writing in the 60s ad right so because again from the standpoint of of human history you're 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 looking at you know if you want to just split it up into old testament to new testament you know and you've got creation here and you've got fall and then you've got the covenants right that are coming through Starting with Noah, and then Moses, or Noah, then Abraham, then Moses, and David, right? And then they come and they culminate in the new covenant, and then on into eternity. Um, what you've got is you've got, you know, you've got this whole era here that's anticipating um, the last days. So the last days here are what? They're promised, aren't they? These are promised. And when do they, when are they starting to be fulfilled? When the word becomes
1: flesh. Right. And he comes and then he brings in the last times. So that's what's going on. It's new covenant. And that's why again
0: call it new covenant theology call it whatever you will. Um, you can't you can't understand redemptive history unless you understand this dynamic. Um, we're not waiting again for more last days. We are in the last days. The culmination of history. The fullness of time, Paul would call it. You know, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Um, John says, my little children, you know it's the last hour, right? He says that. Acts chapter two, in these last days, God will pour forth his spirit and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Uh, Hebrews chapter one in various times and portions God spoke to us through the prophets in these last days he has spoken to us in Quio in his son all right, so again we are in the eschaton the final the final era before God wraps it all up just so pulled a main statement of the name of the chart oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I mine's a little bit Mine's even less wordy. (laughs) This is already not wordy at all. Mine's mine's abbreviated. But anyway, you get the point. Um, But Peter sees himself there. And again, that's back when we were in chapter 1, verse 10 through 12, when he was talking about the prophets who, who were sort of looking into these things they were prophesying, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating, looking for the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. You know, these prophets were speaking of our era um speaking of our time and uh, that's the time in which you and i find ourselves um and inaugurated eschatology is is the way that some theologians want to say it's the eschaton that's already inaugurated it's already but not yet okay but that was that was last week and i didn't get the chance to go into a lot of that but i just wanted to touch on it again and just always to remember these these precious words here um That he has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. It doesn't get a whole lot much more rich than that. That is for you. Why did he come? Why all this redemptive history? Why did Jesus appear? Why did the eternal son come and shed his blood? Well, it was for you. It's for you. Don't ever forget that. Don't let any theology dilute that from you. There are some theologies out there that want to make Christ's work almost only about God's glory sort of in the abstract. And that is true. It's about obeying his father and glorifying his father and showing his allegiance to the father of all things. But the way he brings that about is by dying for us. <laughs> I mean, that's they're not mutually exclusive. And you, this is this is the bread of the saints, to know that Jesus Christ came for us. He came as a rescue mission. We are not just, uh, I don't know, we're not just some beneficiaries in some abstract way. Um, as sort of a footnote we are the mission and that that's an important point to make um you know there again there are certain reform there are certain reform guys that i know what they're saying because they don't want to make the gospel man centered right they don't want to make it just all about our value and all of that but in doing that you can run the risk of like of saying well um we're an afterthought that's really not true why did he appear? For you, for me, for Matt, for Witt, for Deb, for Tim. I mean, this is why the Lord Jesus showed up. He showed up to take our place. Substitution is the reason he came. And that again, we, we, we just celebrated Memorial Day. And it's hard to look at pictures of of, of you know Normandy or any of these other, you know, any of these other wars that that have benefited our nation so much for freedom and for peace and uh, it's sobering, isn't it? but it's nothing compared to what the Lord Jesus
1: has done. It's nothing compared to yep. what He actually did. are standing on the shoulders of the Son, the Son of God.
0: We have to, of course, we don't hang our heads in guilt because of that. We we lift our heads in joy and confidence. But we do, we do sort of. Of an awe, don't we? Because of, because of what he's done.
1: Forgiveness should bring all. Okay.
0: So he's coming these last times for the sake of you. Now to our text this morning, who through him are believers in God, raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope God. So he's still, he still got Christ on his mind. And it's through him, that is through Christ, he says, that we are believers in God. That's an interesting way to put it. Um, I'm more acquainted with Paul who says, you know, you believe in Jesus and therefore, you know, you're right with God or justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm used to that, but I'm not used to him saying that through Jesus, you become believers in God. That's a little different. Um so what does this mean? What, in what sense are we believers in God through him? Um, yeah, I mean, if you, you look at Acts chapter 4, through faith in his name, this healing has happened, right? Well, he's talking about the name of Jesus. I'm used to that. I'm used to faith in Jesus gains you access to God. I'm not used to Jesus giving me access to God, sort of, or, or I'm sorry, Jesus making me a believer. in God. That's different. Believing in Jesus gets me God, but here he's saying Jesus gives you, makes you a believer in God. It's different. A little bit different emphasis here, okay? So I want to tease this out a little bit. What does it mean that through Jesus we become believers in God? Um, and let me just say this this idea of believers here, it's an adjective, so it's it actually becomes our identity. It's a descriptor now of us. So Most of the time in the Bible, we are not called Christians, even though we call ourselves Christians. (coughs) Uh, Maybe primarily, I don't know, maybe maybe you don't, but uh, that's that's rare. How many times? Twice, I think. Peter does it in the book of Acts. Anyone suffers as a Christian, Peter says, Um, and then in the book of Acts, and they were called in that place. The disciples were called Christians.
1: I think those are the only two
0: places. The rest of the time in the Bible, you're called a believer. What does that mean? That means you're one who has faith, right? You have faith. Um, so I just want to say that this is an identifying. We are believers in God. We live our lives trusting in God. And it's Jesus who has done this, who has made us this. So we'll start sort of at a high level so at the high level we have become believers in god through jesus it at least means that he is the exclusive means by which we are believers in god in other words there's no other way to know god or come to god it comes through jesus right john 14 6 i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father but through me so there it is There's the there's the idea that he's the channel through which we come to God, the exclusive channel, the exclusive conduit, whatever you want to look at it. He's the only way to get to God. The way is narrow because it's only one person through which you come to God. So we see that if someone's going to come to the father and know the father, it's only through Jesus. No other religion under the sun can bring you to God. There is no other way or no other truth and no other life except in Jesus Christ, right? Every, every All the gods of the nations are idols, right? All of them. That's breathtaking, isn't it? That uh, he really is the only way, the only vaccine from eternal death is Jesus Christ. We should be pushing that heavily. But he's it. So at the very least, you know, we can at least just say that Peter Peter says here, through him we're believers in God. So it's only through Jesus they're believers in God. But again, Peter doesn't put a fine point on. He, he 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 makes it. He puts an emphasis on faith. Through him we're believers. He puts an emphasis on faith. Um, in other words, through Jesus we become those who have faith in God. So what does he mean here? How is Jesus the channel through which we become believers in God? Is it Jesus' work on the cross that Peter has in view somehow? Is it Peter saying Jesus is the source of faith, that is, that Jesus is the one who grants us faith in God? Or is Jesus' work a proof of God's reliability and power in the sense that Jesus is sort of the apologetic? for faith like the proof of god's power and truthfulness through his resurrection uh, so is he the is it the work of jesus that makes us believers in god is, it, is he the source of faith or is he sort of the proof or sort of an apologetic from god that god is trustworthy i think it's all three i think it's all three but i think it's it probably leans a little bit more toward three but on the other hand I started to think about it and i'm like it, but it's really got to be the other two as well right maybe he has a particular emphasis toward three but i think i think it's got to be one and two as well um it's through him we're believers in god and he points to the work raised him from the dead he, he just previously talked about precious blood right mm. um so i i think i think that it's i think that it's all three so let's think about Let's think about the idea of the work of Christ. In this, put that there. Um, so often we think that it's faith in our faith that saves us. Let's think in just for a second. So often we think it's faith in our faith that saves us, in which case it becomes faith in our feeling of faith, faith in our feeling of our, our sense of faith, reliance on god and if we've got that then we know we're assured and if we don't got it we're like i don't know i better work it back up rather than remembering always that it's not faith in faith right it's faith in what jesus has done what saves you ultimately from the wrath of god is not firstly faith is it it's not is it what is it it's the cross, right? The cross is actually what saves you, <laughs> okay? It saves you. Faith is the instrument to, to, to apprehend that. That's what it is. It connects you to that benefit. It doesn't. It's not the faith that, that, that somehow satisfied the wrath of God for you. It's the work of Jesus that satisfies the wrath of God for you. This is, this is an important point. It's not faith in faith. It's faith in Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ's word that's saved. So Jesus comes into human history, these last times, as Peter says, to redeem us from our slavery to sin. That's what we saw in verse 18. Right? Because we're not believers by nature. We're not believers by nature. Um, so he comes and he wants to he wants to redeem us are slaves to unbelief and sin we're actually children of wrath by nature which means left to ourselves we receive only his just punishment for our sin in the end so so then at that if that were true we'd live eternally cut off from the goodness and the grace of our maker and yet jesus comes into the world lives a sinless life dies on the cross bearing the wages of our sin which is the wrath of god and through this work opens up access to god so at the cross remember what happens the veil is torn from top to bottom signifying access into the holy of holies is now open it's cut off before right and so the veil rips from top to bottom showing that the Holy of Holies are now open. And the resurrection proved that sins are paid for in full. Death could not hold him. And when we trust in Jesus Christ, we're forgiven of our sin. God counts us righteous and we know God. But it's through what he has done that we come to God. So listen to Peter in chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, substitution so that he might bring us to god having been put to death in the flesh but made alive
1: in the spirit
0: so before we can believe in god we've got to have a god who's open to us that makes sense before we can believe in god we've got to have a a god who's reconciled so to speak a god who who is propitiated and that's what i mean and the question would be well what about old testament believers where the well the cross was retroactive there we, we know that in romans chapter 3 and hebrews chapter 9 paid for sins under the previous covenant god forgave them on the basis of the work of jesus too as well it's not like they were saved through lambs and bulls and were saved through
1: jesus that's classical dispensation, actually, which is that truly is heresy that's another gospel. But
0: what I'm saying is that before we can talk about us believing in God, we have to talk about a God who sends a son into the world to save so that we can have access to this God. So the work of Christ first has to happen. So redempt- so this redemptive work in history happens first before we can think about being reconciled or being believers in God. Okay, so that's the work of Christ in history. But how do we go from children of wrath by nature to believing and trusting in the Son and His work, when He's the one we hated before? Right. So, so work this work, Lord Jesus, and He does it. Now what? Well, He's still at work, so we can still put this under here, but
1: I'm going to make
0: a different category. And we're going to say that now He's the source of our faith. So again, remember, we're talking about how does G, how, how does Jesus make us believers in God? Well, well, first off, He opens access to God. Second of all, He's the one who grants us the faith. Okay, how do we go from hating Him to loving Him? Well, Jesus is the source. Think it through here. Peter, Peter says that we are believers in God through Jesus. So, what is faith? Faith is the God given perception to see God as a capable and willing savior and one on whom we must rely and commit to. Okay. So faith is a God given perception to see Him. the reason you're a believer in God is because Jesus gave you eyes to see,
1: right? That is the only reason ultimately. It's extremely humbling, isn't it? What is that? Yeah. How sweet and awful is the place of Christ within the doors? There's a verse in there that says, um, I'm going to butcher it now, I think probably because I didn't have it in my notes, but um,
0: basically says, um, Why was I a guest? When the rest of the world refuses, it chosen me, and now I have come to partake of this feast, and they all perish and starve. and And the reality is that 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 is the truth, isn't it? The truth of the matter is that that why are you a believer in God? Well, it's because in the end, He said, "Let there be light." He said.
1: you wipe your eyes, the eyes of your heart to see That's the reality. Um,
0: if you, if you, I can, I'll read us an explicit passage and then, and then a couple others that, that are interesting to undergird this, but listen to Paul and Philippians for to you, it has been granted verse 29 for to you. It has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer. So for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him but also to suffer. So the faith here, the belief, is a grant.
1: It's a gift. Faith is a gift. Yeah. Oh, it is.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, it's worth. This is worth uh, reading. Have you guys ever heard this? Before? I know some of the some of y'all have before. How sweet and awful is the place of Christ within? That is uh, Yeah. Well, listen to this. Might top three of my favorite hymns. How sweet and awesome is the place with Christ within the doors, while everlasting love displays the choicest of her stores. While all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, each of us cries with thankful tongue, Lord, why was I a guest? Why was I made to hear your voice and enter while there's room? when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come. the same love that spread the feast that sweetly drew us in, else we had still refused to taste and perished in our sin. That's what we're talking about. He knew himself very well. Why am I not out there starving, drinking at the broken fountains of the world? Is it because well when he was calling I just had the wisdom to come? Is that what it is? No, that's not what it is. What it is, it's however it looked like in your life. One day you just know you really needed Jesus and you knew that he was willing to have you. But really, almost is that simple. And what is that? That's a miracle. That's a miracle. And then he showed you his glory and his goodness and his power and his love willingness to save you um, so it's a grant faith is a grant john 5 23 because remember too jesus said he's going to build his church and he built his church through his work but he's going to he's going to bring the church in right he's going to bring the church in and how does he do it well he tells us he gives us a glimpse he says it lots of different ways but here's one the way he says it verse five john 5 23 truly truly the time is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. The time is coming. So you might think, well, that's just the day of judgment, but he says, and now is, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. So when we come to life spiritually, it's because Jesus has called us up from the dead. This This is the powerful call of Christ to grant the life of faith to His people, so that they follow Him. Uh, Lazarus, you know, is is the is the illustration often used. Lazarus, come forth! What did Lazarus do? He came forth. That's what he did. And this is what
1: happens to all Christians, spiritually speaking, they come to life. So. This
0: is Jesus who does it. When we preach the gospel at Miracle Hill to our neighbors downtown, we pray that they will hear the voice of the Son of God. That voice is still raining down from heaven, speaking to people to come forth. That, That is what it is. So, but, and he's calling now out to people based on what he's done. Come. The feast is set. I didn't know what Jesus said. You go out. You invite them all. Don't tell them to bring any side dishes. Don't tell them to bring drinks. The feast is set. All is ready. Tell them to come. All they do is come. That's what I'm talking about. Jesus, through us now, proclaims his voice and creates life. And that's imbued with faith, the ability to see him. Acts 2, 32 and 33. Listen to this. Peter preaching here. The spirits poured out, they're prophesying and speaking in tongues and people are coming to the, coming to terms with who they are or, you know, what shall we do? And Peter says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And how many were added that day? 3000, right? Why did all that happen? Well, Peter tells us this Jesus, God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, that's where Jesus is. He's exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the father, the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured forth this which you both see and hear. So Jesus Christ is the one, the reigning son now, exalted, who pours forth. And you see all the ramifications happen. And they're in, they're in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. Why is, uh, why are the people speaking in tongues? Well, it's because Jesus poured out his spirit. You know, why are people coming to terms with, with who they are and what they need? Well, that's because Jesus is working in them. He's building his church. He's the source of faith. He's the source of life. It's the risen Christ. Okay, so it's the work of Christ in history. He's the source of faith. And I think that proof also is here, what Peter is giving it to. Jesus makes us believers in God because of his work in history, because he gave us faith, and because God gave us proof through what he did through Christ. God raised his son from the dead to show that salvation is accomplished which proves that God is utterly trustworthy and powerful even over death and sin we, we think of we think of um uh, in terms of like job
1: references why do we get job references you tell me why do we get job references for proof that you know so this person is who they say they are? They That's can right. do what
0: they can do. That's right. We see their history. We see their track record. They've been at the, the previous company for ten years. Their superiors have said they they work in an outstanding way. They're on time. They produce this and that. Right. And based on that, we feel good about bringing them on and producing for us. So what's job? What's God's references here?
1: What's his references?
0: How do you know you're going to trust God and he's going to bring you all the way to end, all the way to glory? What's his reference? It gives you his resume. That's it. What is it? Well, it's really, it's really like 10,000 things, right? <laughs> in the scripture. But in particular, Peter zeroes in on the death and resurrection and consequent glory that Jesus gets, right? Just make sure you look at that again. Peter says, Peter says, back there, he says, "Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God." So, <clears throat> um, so the cross and the resurrection were they done in a cave? Or were they done publicly? They're done
1: publicly, weren't they? Everybody saw it happen. They were there. If you were there. You would have seen it. You would have seen a man hanging up there.
0: And um, you would have seen him die. You would have seen him hanging his head. And you would have seen blood dripping off that wood. You would have seen all that. And you would have seen his disciples hanging their heads,
1: you know, in, in just sadness and shock. Um and yet, Sunday morning, if you are married and you were looking at things through her eyes, expecting to see the man that was wrapped in there in cloths, and you don't see anything but those cloths folded up and put it over to the side, well, that's, I mean, that's, something's happened. It's not like it was disheveled and thrown on the floor, like somebody came and stole them or something like that. No, they were inside, like there was some intentionality going on.
0: And then what happens? Well, after they see an empty tomb, he starts to show himself to others, doesn't he? It's all about being going public. All this public. And then, and then he doesn't just go straight to heaven, does he? Leave a little note. He shows up at 500 people or more. Why does he do all this?
1: He does it so that your faith and hope are in God. That's why he does it. He, he dies publicly, he, he, he rises publicly, so to speak,
0: or appears publicly. For a matter of 40 days so that you know that god really did this and this you know it's not speculative here this is based on eyewitness testimony how many times is the word witness used in the book of acts i should have looked it up but dozens 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 of times witnesses. We, are witnesses. we are witnesses we are witnesses we are witnesses i saw him dead
1: i've seen him alive we are witnesses we are witnesses that, that's what we're talking about So why should we believe in God? What's his reference? Well, grace raised the son from the dead.
0: This means that that, that no one now should say that, that they have a reason to doubt him, that they have a reason to be unbelieving, any question of his love or his grace. Paul says it like this. What, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not would also with him freely give us all things? So so when we look at the cross and the resurrection, we see that God is is lavish in his love for us and this gives us assurance and confidence every day. Uh, Giving his son was the hardest thing for him to do. Paul says here, if he did that, how much more will he give us all things? Peace for today. Strength for today. Financially provide for you if, if, if you need it. These are small, small things. Work out relationships between you and your family. Brethren in the church, he give you all that. He gave you his son, he's going to give you all that. And that's what I'm saying. The work of Christ becomes a proof of God's character, of his love, of his trustworthiness, of his power. That's what Peter is getting at here. He raised him from the dead. So who here is the one who who is said to raise Jesus from the dead? God. Presumably God the Father. Now the other places in the New Testament, it says that Jesus raised himself from the dead, right? No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down, and if I lay it down, I can take it up again. So there's this reality that Jesus wants us all to know that he's not really a victim
1: ultimately. He let himself be led away. But also other places is
0: the spirit raising from the dead. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So there's this reality as far as the spirit goes of glorification, right? The body of Jesus is a spiritual body. It's a body that won't die anymore it's a body that's immortal imperishable so this is that angle from the spirit this is why it says the spirit raised jesus from the dead just focusing in on the the life he gave to jesus's mortal
1: body it also says god the father raised his son from the dead what angle
0: are we to understand this from well this reality that 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 God was bearing witness as to his own trustworthiness and proof and, and, and the fact that that justice really was satisfied sins really were paid for therefore God was glad to say I'm listen to Acts uh, 13 just explicitly says that God raised him from the dead when they had carried out all that was written concerning him they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. Acts <clears throat> 10.39-43, Peter talking to, um, I think this was after he had the encounter with Cornelius. Maybe it was during, but I think he says the same thing. I can't
1: Paul so back at it here. X ten thirty nine. Yeah. Okay, so this this is uh
0: I think he's talking to Yeah, Peter's talking to Cornelius, giving them the the account of the gospel, of, of what God has done in Christ. Peter tells Cornelius, we are witnesses of all these things that God did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up the third day and granted that he become visible. This is interesting granted that he became visible this was God it's all part of the design not to all the people but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God that is to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead so that we could say yes this is him right think about it if it was just strangers and Jesus came up to him and said hey i'm alive i was dead 3 days ago like, really so it's important that it was the people who were with him before that could verify that it really was him And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. So God raising his son was to show proof to the world that sins are truly forgiven. God's justice satisfied. Forgiveness of sins is available. So the resurrection is sort of God's receipt. It's the receipt to say sin paid for in full. How do we know? Empty tomb. How do you know your sins are paid for? Look inside that tomb. Nobody's in there. That means you won't be in there. That's the point. His destiny is our destiny. That's the idea. And God did that. God raised him from the dead and showed him to everyone so that we'll know God can do that. And what else? God raised him from the dead and he gave him glory. Gave him glory. 1 Timothy 3.16 says that by common confession, this is sort of an early confession in the church, early statement of faith, I guess you could say. Kind of short, because up until that point in history, um, you know, the heresies are just starting to come. But it's short, but he says this, by common confession, Paul says to Timothy, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh, there's the incarnation, was Vindicated in the spirit, probably walked by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken
1: up in glory. Seen by angels, the resurrection.
0: Angels were there, proclaimed among the nations, the early church, believed on in the world, 3,000 in one day taken up in glory right all these things jesus ascends in the clouds and is taken up in glory jesus said this it said as much in john 17 1 through 5 jesus spoke these things in his prayer and lifting up his eyes to heaven he said father the hour has come glorify your son that the son may glorify you even as you gave him authority over all flesh that to all whom you have given him he may give eternal life and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Yes. So Jesus is praying to his Father, basically, to raise him from the dead and give him glory. He's praying, he's praying, Father, I want... I want that state of affairs, that that glory that we had before the
1: world began, come about again after this final hour. And why was Jesus taken up in glory?
0: Why? why? Why was he raised from the dead? Why was he given glory? Peter tells us.
1: So that your faith and hope are in God. God raises his son from the dead,
0: gives him glory, again, for you. Right? He appeared in these last times for you. God raised him from the dead for you. See that? It says it both. It says both of those things. So that your faith and hope are in God.
1: It's a purpose clause. So that. The resurrection and
0: glorification of Jesus ensures and proves our resurrection and glorification. Now, to persecuted believers, as many of the people in Peter's readership are, sort of been very encouraging. Um, what are they to do when death is facing them? What are they to do when is falling apart. What are, they, what are they to do
1: when hard times come? They look on the cross and the resurrection, okay? The cross and the resurrection is is, a, is an anchor for your faith. It's a it's a ballast for you. It's a ballast for you. They must remember God's power
0: exerted in history, raising his son from the dead, who appeared before hundreds of eyewitnesses to prove this fact, and took him into glory so that they will be faithful until death, as they know God will raise them and give them glory. Jesus' destiny is our destiny. Jesus' destiny is God's will for our lives, therefore our faith and hope are in God. So, so we don't have to wonder what God will do with us after we die. and We don't have to wonder what he's able to do, what he can do. What can he do? He can bring dead people to life.
1: Give them eternal life. Think about Abraham. Wishy-washy
0: to begin with, right? Lying about his wife
1: saying she's available when she really wasn't and does it twice. And yet after he lives however many years,
0: he's become more and more um, confident in God's character. more and more confident specifically in the promise of God that through his son all the nations will be blessed. So, that when God comes to him and he says, I want you to go up on that mountain and I want
1: you to sacrifice your son, he doesn't fight him. He doesn't fight God, does he? He doesn't fight him at all. The text is real clear on that. It's it's, it's, it's silent.
0: God says, Go sacrifice your son.
1: It says that Abraham gets up early
0: in the morning with the lad and he goes. Paul reflects back on this. And Romans four, and says his faith was
1: strong, in believing that God was raised. raise. Hebrews also picks up on this. My point is, is that
0: I mean that if you're Abraham's friend, if you're
1: Abraham's neighbor, and you hear this is what he's going to do today that would just seem utterly absurd. Your God is asking you to do And yet, you have faith in God. You have hope in God. He knew that what God promised, he was able to bring about. He lived in light of it. And that's what Peter's calling, that's, that's what he's calling us to do. But what does he said? Well, he said, pray. Right. He said,
0: love one another. He said, proclaim the excellencies of him which called you out of darkness into, the mar- into his marvelous light. He said, don't worry about your life and the things that you own. He said, do all things for the sake of the gospel. He said all these things and these are, these are the things he's told us and he's promised all these glorious realities. And so the question is, are we living in light of those things? Are we really, are we really living like those promises are true? Look at Abraham. He did something really crazy because he was convinced of God's word. And ultimately, what would have really been crazy is if
1: he didn't do it. Then he would have been a fool of fools. Why? Because you're talking about a God who can't lie. Who made a promise. So that's what we're talking about.
0: When we look at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, we see a God who defied all odds so that we live our lives knowing he's that kind of God. So that we understand that, yes, some of the things he
1: calls us to are very hard, humanly speaking, <clears throat> impossible. <right>? Impossible. <clears throat> and yet all things are possible with God. This is impossible with man, Jesus says, but all things are possible with God. So we're not let
0: off the hook, are we? We're not let off the hook. We're enabled.
1: We're We're given promises and power to love, whatever, to discipline our children,
0: to be diligent workers at work. All these things that he says he gives us power for and all these things. How do we know he'll do it? Well, because he raised his son from the dead. He'll do that. So that's what Peter's after. Peter wants us to take a good look at what God has done through Christ. This becomes the proof, an apologetic. For God's trustworthiness, his power, his love, his goodness. And because often, because, you know, again, a sense of our own faith comes and goes. But that historical, redemptive work, that happened outside of us. And we can live our lives based on that reality. So, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. So again, his destiny is our destiny. If he was raised from the dead, we're going to be raised from the dead. Over and over in Hebrews, it talks about Jesus entering into the presence of God for us.
1: We go with it. That's verse 21. Questions? Thoughts? Did it make sense? Is it confusing? No question. Yeah. I don't know what you were just saying, but how would you differentiate between faith and hope?
0: I'm not sure. There's a whole lot of difference. I think
1: faith... Um, hope is typically sort of
0: a, an eager expectation of a future reality in other words it's it's always future looking um faith is maybe more of sort, sort of what's sort of what happens so that you can hope it's more of the more of a dependence and a reliance so one is sort of expectation and eager expectation and the other is more reliance and trust so i think you hope in God, but when you're hoping in God, you're, you're you're future oriented. When you're trusting in God, that can be for the future, that can be for the moment. It's more of a, a reliance of something like that, maybe. Doesn't
1: the Bible say who hopes in what he has?
0: Or, yeah, if hope we hope for what he has. Yeah, Romans eight. So you don't hope for what you have presently,
1: but you hope for the future. For the, for the, the future. faith is constant. That's right. And this wall
0: the world. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean those. Those principles of faith and hope—I mean, there's so much overlap. It's probably a little bit hard to tease them out, really. But, but
1: yeah, I think it's, it's the forward-looking, but also the trust and reliance every day. Those, those who have no hope, right? Those who have no hope. Can't have hope without. No. so faith, hope, and love. Paul usually puts faith right at the beginning every time.
2: Source. Four through eight, prayer it just contrasts. Um, you are not a god, the lights of wickedness, evil may not go well you. Those who shall not stand before your eyes, will be the you hate all evil, destroy those who speak glass, the Lord of the blood of your I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, Will enter the house. I will bow down with the whole temple in the fear of me. Leave Lord, in your righteousness, because my enemies make way straight before me. Just the contrast of yeah. that. We would all deserve those first two verses of
1: yeah.
2: just not being able to dwell before God, but for Christ.
1: love and kindness.
0: Yeah, again, I mean, that's what it boils down to. We love because he first loved us. It's just I mean, and that's why Christians should be the most humble people on the planet. The most confident, but the most humble people on the planet. Because the world have been yeah. I've not said it before, but there should be times in your life where you're blown away that you're created for
1: mercy. And That's, that's good. All right, well, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've done through Christ for us. Certainly, Lord Jesus, through
0: you, we become believers in God. What you've done, what you've given, and just the proof of your work in history just increases our faith in God. Our Father, we praise you for what you've done in history. Lord, you could have just said things, but not just said things, but you've done things. And those things that you've done are based on what you've said. Yeah. Lord, we can trust in you and live our lives in light of these promises, and in light of these redemptive acts. And oh Lord, just help us. Lord, whenever we just become unbelieving or doubtful or, or whatever, Lord, just help us to always remember that you're the God who can raise the dead to life. Help us to remember that, and so we'd be eager to come to you and ask for help in our time. For all my brethren, here, pray, Lord, their faith and hope will be increased in you in light of this morning. Pray for our brother Steve as he brings your word again, Lord, to pray that again that you would give him clarity, insight, love, sense of your authority,
1: we would all be helped together. Thank <sharp inhale> you.